Oh, it's Joseph Michelli. Oh, it, there's so much confusion running about. There's Mike. Chris, I wasn't even meaning to bring you up, Christine. I was too eager to get you. <laughs> Never mind. You're, you're going back in the box. Christine's gone again. Uh, so you have a sneak preview about what's going to be happening there. I just gave you a, a little inside uh, peek at what's happening. So here's here's where I am. We've been so reliable. We're like, you could set your clock by us on Thursdays at 1230 Eastern. And then I've been just so busy. It's been hit and miss. And we've been really grateful uh, for those guests that we just absolutely positively had to have on. And they were so kind to, to stay with us through this time. So I'm, I'm grateful for them. And and I'm grateful for you for joining us again today. Wherever you're joining us from, just let me know. I'm always eager to hear what part of the world you're in, what sector you're in, what you're hoping to look for from a leadership perspective or CX perspective. My guest today is, oh my goodness, cool. Um, let's start with the, the fact that I have known the brand that she worked for for a long time. I started back in about 2004, working with them in various capacities and written two books about them. Um, they happened to be a little coffee shop that started in Seattle, Washington. Uh, but she is this unbelievable keeper of their culture for 27 years. She has a story to tell you about coming through the ranks of Starbucks and really even a story that's way earlier than that in terms of discipline and dedication and focus. Um, and then her journey at the end of Starbucks and moving in the direction of a very different career and exciting career for her that I want to introduce you to there. Um, she's written a book uh, that talks about moving from barista to boardroom at Starbucks. And so I now can officially click my button. It's really, it's the rust is showing here. I can click my button and there is Christine <laughs> McHugh. Jeez, Ooh, I'm glad you brought me back. I was ready. I'm beginning to wonder if I was never going to be able to join. <laughs> well, after I warned, after I warned you, you would not have to be up here at the very beginning of the show. What do I do? It's like throw you right up there. Well, at least I wasn't like doing something embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll we'll get to that later. We'll make okay. Sure good. We, I can't we'll wait to that later. All right. Let's talk about your journey. Uh, first off, I love this book. I mean, not just like it, not just have a slight fondness toward it. I am like all in love with this book. It is Thank you. a story of, I'm gonna pull myself off the screen and leave you alone on the screen this time <laughs> so that I can actually show the book to which I refer. Um, this book is crazy, amazing memoir of your journey through Starbucks, uh, before Starbucks, after Starbucks. It's just a, wow, it's, it's an exciting story of leadership. and. For those of you who don't know, kind of the pinnacle of your career at Starbucks was as a vice president of customer service and operations services, if I remember mm -hmm. So uh, talk to us about Christine McHugh growing up as a single, with a single parent in Fairbanks, Alaska, relative poverty, brother, I believe Joshua is his name? Jason. Josh, mm -hmm. Jason is his name. Mm -hmm. Got the Your J. brother mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. together growing up dad's single parent and not having a lot and coming up to Seattle just after you graduated high school. Talk to us a little bit about your journey before Starbucks and then we'll kind of take yeah. us through the Starbucks era. Well, coincidentally, from a timing perspective, I just got back from Fairbanks um, visiting my family and doing a book signing on Monday of this week, a couple days ago. Um, and I've actually made it an annual trip to go up and see my the remaining family members that up that were that were are up there. But um, so I was born and raised in Fairbanks. It's a really small town. It's probably twenty to thirty thousand people in the interior of Alaska. So it's definitely not for the faint of heart because it's very extreme conditions, extreme living. 
in terms of weather and um, environment. And quickly, my dad ended up uh, moving up there when he was a teenager because his dad was in the army and retired up there to teach at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He taught Russian and German. He was actually a spy in World War II. Um, but yeah, so I grew up there and my mom left uh, my dad when I was probably four or five. Um, and so my brother and I were, I wouldn't say left to our own devices. It's not like we were feral or anything, but and we did have a good family support network, but we really were, um, uh, had to be independent and self-sufficient and resourceful. And I think the combination of living in such an extreme climate um, that's in a very remote, you know, area with having to be, you know, kind of take care of ourselves because my dad was busy working, you know, doing all the things that uh, extra things it seems like single parents have to do to, to take care of their family. So we learned to kind of navigate through life, problem solve and um, um, take care of our needs through, through that. And as I said, thankfully I had a big extended family up there that provided a lot of extra support. So um, I grew up in a really politically active family. And by that, I mean, members of my family held political office uh, multiple times. My grandfather was in the state Senate. He was in the state house. My other my grandmother on the other side, she brought Alaska into statehood. She was part of that delegation. So we were brought up in this environment of independence and problem solving and also service. High degree of community service, community activism in our family or are surrounded by that. And I think those two experiences really um, shaped how I ended up kind of uh, formed into my early adulthood and then beyond. And when I, um, two days after I graduated from high school, I moved because I was coveting something more in my life, bigger. I didn't know what that meant, but just different experiences. Um, different perspectives, more diversity. And I felt that by staying in Fairbanks, I would feel, I was feeling constrained. Now that's not to say that's how it would have been because that's a lot of mindset orientation there. But as a, as a young adult and a newly minted high school graduate, I felt like there was more for the world, uh, for me to experience in the world. So I, two days after I graduated from high school, I moved to Seattle and um, ended up you know, getting a cup, have a couple different jobs down here, which ultimately led to Starbucks. But that's a little bit and about your, and your mom. Your mom was in Seattle. So yes, you had yep. that. Mm -hmm. You worked for yep. your mom after, I think, mm -hmm. working in a hair salon for a period of time. But but there are a couple of things about those early stories that I really loved. And it, it was this sense that in addition to how you shared it just now, that you had the basics of life, but anything else you yep. wanted above and beyond that, you really had to work for. And oh, you yeah. had to hustle and you had mm -hmm. family members that you could work for and you took on jobs in, in some of their business uh, endeavors in Fairbanks. But um, it really was a pretty good breeding ground for hard work industry. And it sounds like all those family dynamics also really set you up to to want to aspire to something great, and particularly in the area of service, which is what you did at Starbucks. So here you are, 17 <laughs> years of age, you know, heading toward your 18th birthday. You get on a plane, one-way ticket from Fairbanks to Seattle, and you make a way for yourself in Seattle go through your mom's coffee cart business for a short period of time, but then you get your first job in Starbucks. And it was really rapid fire growth from there. I mean, you know, by 20, I think you were a supervisor. It just goes on and on. I mean, region, district manager, this manager, it just went on. And finally you said, I wanna go work in the corporate headquarters. Um, 
open up the bean book to find out contacts in Starbucks, right? And then tell me about your journey at that point. Like when you, when you finally go into the siren building, uh, you know, it was an old Sears store, I think in, in, in South Seattle, is it? Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, that building, we weren't, Starbucks wasn't even in that building when I first started with the company. So when I started, there was 37 stores in the company. My store actually opened, it was number 37. It was in a community north of Seattle called Edmonds, Washington. And after, um, as you mentioned, after working in retail operations for a couple of years, I really was looking to get an office job. I knew I was destined for business. And there's stories about that and how that came to be in my book. And I ended up getting my first kind of corporate office job was in Starbucks Human Resources Department. And I was the fifth person in the HR department in the entire company. I imagine there's probably north of 500 people in HR today. Um, and that really, you know, being in a company in uh, turbocharged growth mode meant a lot of opportunities that were, um, you know, would come up, but not necessarily known at the time because there wasn't like a really clear blueprint from a career pathing perspective. It was more how I could take initiative, what opportunities I saw, what problems there might need to be solved, and what did I actually enjoy doing. And I ended up working in human resources and then training and development, which is a department within HR. Um, I ended up working in that department, I think probably seven-ish years and held a variety of roles. And it was all by way of like, what else can I do? How else can I grow? What can I take on? Where, what things need you know support? Where are there gaps? And I really enjoyed um, particularly the training aspect of my job because it gave me a chance to connect with people one-on-one um, -on -one as they were coming new into the company. Um, from there, I went into the sales division. So I went from a corporate staff position where I had a desk in an office to working out of my car in a territory that started out with downtown Seattle and over the course of another seven years expanded to west of the Mississippi River. And that was happened a lot the same way of taking initiative, finding problems to solve, working hard, being open and flexible and um, ended up making a transition back into training after that. Um, and I did that for a while longer before I ended up going into operations, which is where I spent the last seven years of my career at Starbucks. So I can go into any of those. I'm sure you have other questions, but that's kind of how it happened. I'm gonna pause right there for a second. First off, I wanna appeal to those of you who are watching right now. If you have any questions, I mean, many of us have worked in customer service or customer experience in a variety of different size organizations, but imagine, working in one that was at, when you originally started, uh, 37 uh, stores large, now working as a customer, in charge of customer service for a brand as magnificent, uh, as magnificent as Starbucks. And, and so those of you who are out there with questions about how do you leverage change in customer experience or customer service, uh, if you're in the contact center space, uh, dealing with customer complaints, any of those things, let us know again, this started as a barista. I mean, I think this is important because when you got into your first job at Starbucks, across all that jumping up and moving and bouncing over to the corporate side, your early days were, were working with, with customers. And I love some of the stories you had about these customers and how they brought joy to your life. And, and a lot of the things that happen in leadership where you can affect 
joyful experiences for customers from a leader's perspective. So I welcome your comments and questions about that. Let's let me uh, <clears throat> let me kind of pull back a little bit. Um, and I'd like to go to mostly the time, I guess I'll leave it at this. Let me open it broader. <laughs> what are you most proud of uh, during that 27 year tenure in terms of the accomplishments? And there were many that you cite in your book. I'm most proud of the people. I am you know, definitely hands down proud of the people that I've worked with that have gone on to do things that they aspired to do, whether it was hit a certain career goal or objective, um, have a certain type of life experience. I mean, that is that is my pride and joy and like the number one thing I left. If I if I could say I've successfully led a legacy left a legacy of really talented leaders, then that's it. You know, a couple of weeks ago I had dinner with um a former team member of mine, he moved to Seattle um, when I was vice president. He moved to Seattle for a time limited, a very short term assignment to be my assistant. He was a store manager in Indianapolis and he took a big risk. He moved across country for a part time job or a temporary job because he wanted to grow his career. So we had that was, I think. I don't know how many years ago, maybe eight, maybe more. So he and I had dinner a couple of weeks ago. He's now a director of human resources. Hmm. Like that is what I'm most proud of. Lots yeah. of projects, sure, but that's what I'm most proud of. That and he's crushing it. So, so this this now I'm going to have to jump way ahead because of that answer. <laughs> like I wasn't ready for that answer. I thought it was going to be some project specific answer, but nah. I should have known better, I guess. Um, well, then you must have been so sorely disappointed because. You know, the book starts at the ending. Uh, you know, it's kind of uh, at least the ending of your career at Starbucks. Um, it was not a pretty ending, right? This was one of those times where you had been on sabbatical. I think probably the second time I think you'd said that you'd taken some extended leave, um, you know, and supported by the company. And, and you came back and things were different. But this was radically different on the heels of the sabbatical. Can you talk a little bit about that transition? And the purpose of telling this is not to air dirty laundry or to you know, create a narrative that's disparaging about Starbucks, but it's really, I think, a incredibly illustrative tale of what it means to be a leader and what it means to give grace in the way you leave and give grace in helping people move on to better opportunities for themselves. Can you talk a little bit about how somebody whose pride is around taking care of people ends up at a very different kind of juncture at the end of her career at Starbucks. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I um, And if, if it makes sense or opportunistic, I'd love to talk a little bit about what I've learned and kind of my latest passion about the value of time off for people with, um, so we can come back to that. But so I was on a company approved sabbatical for six months and while I was gone, and this is not uncommon in a fast growing, fast changing organization. It, it had happened before uh, where the departments were reorganized and my job wasn't eliminated, but I wasn't attached to when I came back, I wasn't attached to any um, function or department. It was more like we have a spot for you. We, now you need to figure out what you want to do and we need to figure out what we want to do with you, which was a little disheartening in and of itself because I'd had such a strong track record and I was one of those employees, as I've been told, that was a high or solid performer. Um, 
And so now I was kind of like coming in trying to figure out where do I fit? And I spent some time when I got back, you know, doing the, the road show in the organization to see where, how, where I might land, even though, you know, one hand, I'm really grateful. I had a job, I was getting a salary, I had benefits. Um, but the other hand, I was feeling um, not super valued because of this and that um, there wasn't a, 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 I didn't feel like I'd been advocated for in terms of how I might be able to contribute in the organization, at least as it related to this, this reorg. So, um, so a lot was put on my own shoulders to figure out what I want to do and where I think I could add value in the organization, which is somebody who's used to like in the grind, driving, charging, delivering results, leading teams felt a little, um, uh, felt a little unfulfilled by that charge. So um, ultimately I ended up not finding the right match for me in the organization. And I had been in conversations with an outside organization regarding opportunity there, which really was appealing to my values, my strengths, my curiosities, my talents, my passions. And um, so I ended up um, deciding to leave the company. And all along the way, I felt like my boss at the time at Starbucks when I was leaving just really didn't have as much interest in helping me kind of figure out where I'm going to land or really where I could contribute in the organization. So I wasn't getting that reinforcement of like, we want you, we need you. This is where I see you. It was more like you go figure it out. Come back to me when you have. And I didn't set right because it didn't feel like a partnership. It didn't feel like I was, um, even though I was an executive, yes, I'm supposed to carve out things. But when you're trying to craft a role for yourself in an organization that's meaningful and do it on your own, it kind of feels like a wasted effort. Um, What's that? You're on mute. <laughs> I was trying to be so quiet that I pointed myself <laughs> to the nth degree. Um, you know, I, one of the things that really struck me uh -huh. in that whole period was that Starbucks invested quite a bit before the sabbatical in providing you with hmm. uh, a mentor, a coach that helped you uncover what was your skills, your passions, how could you create the greatest value for the organization? So you know, we give them credit, like credit for supporting that kind of an effort, yes. which yep. then created this great level of insight. Mm -hmm. And then you go on sabbatical and you come back and then we have to take away a lot of that credit because now that you know what you are and what you want, and you've been there for a long time and earned your, your stripes, you would have thought, right, that they would have found a way to position you in the organization that was a match between your your talents, your interests, and their needs, um, mm -hmm. but not doing so. I mean, the, the, the position that was crafted for you upon return, your department had been kind of eviscerated, people had been pulled apart from a, a department that was fully responsible for customer service, and then that was distributed across the organization and to, I think you say it really eloquently, they were hoping that they would broaden the ownership of customer service beyond a departmental level but you also suggested that that was probably not going to work if they didn't have a passionate leader in the helm. And, and anyway, I just think there's so much in that. Like there's a million lessons to be learned uh, mm -hmm. when you read that passage in Christine's book about how to use talent, develop talent, position talent. And there's a ton of stuff in there about how do you run an organization around customer service? So I, I've just, blithered on. You go either direction on that. You want to talk about talent development, not finding yeah. a position after they invested in you, or do you want to talk about differentiate, you know, distributing the role of customer service or both? I think, you know, 
I think back to kind of one of the root causes to, you know, yes, there was this incredible investment that was made in me. And I am so grateful for that because it's helped me even today in my own business. And I've been gone there from there four and a half years because I know what my strengths are. I know what my sweet spot is. I know what I love to do. And I probably wouldn't have that level of clarity if Starbucks hadn't paid for a coach to work with me four months to get there. So that is fantastic. And I know it was done with the intention of helping me contribute positively within the organization. Um, but I also think that sometimes the pace of game and corporate, and there's so much transition and leaders can constantly be changing. It's, you know, like my leader at the time wasn't a, isn't a bad person and wasn't a bad person, but there was just so much on his plate and I think there is also he doesn't naturally look at how to actually leverage talent to, you know, further the organization on a really broad level and didn't seem to have a high level of curiosity and how I might be able to do that. I think, you know, his, you know, growth and opportunities and leadership development and the pace of game and corporate and the pressures that were put on him just didn't create space for that um, or he chose not to create space for that. So. I, I, you know, that was disappointing to me because I have expectations that a organization that's so focused on humanity would like have the same level of care there. As but you, also, you had an expectation that a, a company that was really focused on customer service would talk about people as yes. opposed to repeat visits or there was a ton of yeah. <laughs> things that we get disillusioned in corporate life yeah. over time. And I, I actually think yeah. some of it is that the youthful entrepreneurial purposeful spirit of organizations sometimes gets creeped out by, you know, margin and stockholders and just a, a lot of other factors. But organizations don't intend to become evil, right? Or or lose some of their beauty. They just kind of wither a bit. Well, and it's just, yeah, you can get, it's, in, it's the grind, right? And I say that is that, you know, there's this constant quest to grow an organization, usually so you can serve more people, right? Um, and, you know, have a bigger impact on your communities. But sometimes, you know, if you can get so much into that cycle that um, you might lose sight of the things that are really, you know, the most important or, or the, the things that you want to hold on to that got you to where you are. Because I do recognize as organizations grow, you do need to let go of the things that may no longer serve you and may, um, may not help you get to where you want to go. But it all comes down to what are your values? What are your values as a leader? What are your values as an organization? How are you making decisions that ladder up to those values and trying to be consistent to that amid the grind, the demand? I mean, look at what businesses had to face last year with COVID, right? Wow. I mean, so many, so many businesses went out of business. Obviously, you know, revenues tanked. It, people were laid off. I mean, so much happened last year. Companies were just wanting to survive. When you have really clear values that are established and you're making decisions that ladder up to those values, you're going to be in a much better position for that. So I, um, yeah, I mean, yes, it's, you can wither away and you can lose sight, but you need somebody, you need strong leaders to say, remember who we are, right? Remember what we stand for. Here's what's important to us. Here's how we want to treat each other, our customers, our people, and is constantly relentless with that. And when I was the head of customer service, which you talked a little bit about, I love that job. That was probably, I had some pretty cool projects and opportunities. And I did talk about some of them in my book, not all of them, but like the head of customer service was by far my most favorite job in the entire 
27 years that I had there because I just believe so much in what it means to create an awesome experience for customers and how do you make it easy for the staff to deliver that experience or how do you make it hard for them? And so, and I got to, as a VP of customer service, I got to talk to customers on a daily basis. I loved that. It was so much fun, but that was that like my job at that time was to be like that person that was just nagging everybody. Like, let's not forget about how this impacts the customer experience. How do we make it easier? How do we delight them? How do we make it easier for the partners to serve the customer? And so, but organizations need to have those people and be open to those voices of constant, um, like I said, nagging. So, so I got yeah. I got writer's cramp just jotting down notes from your book. So, um, you know, I don't know if I can even use my hands effectively. But one of the ones that I did write down um, that you mentioned, and I think was a pretty driving force in the way you managed all kinds of decisions in the context of Starbucks and something that I think continued to give you inspiration, even as you were leaving Starbucks, was this this phrase of live your values, speak your truth. Um, and I think that was a big part of it. And your truth was advocating on behalf of customers. I remember, you know, in the book, you mentioned at one point, just dealing with an irate customer because of the mismanagement of a service dog um, at no fault of the barista, as I, as I think you position it. And just how you were able to be present with that person, take ownership of what was wrong and be able to reassure them that you were gonna take steps that were gonna make this better, not only for her, but for others who found themselves in a similar position. And just the joy that that paragraph read for me is why I do what I do for a living. Like that, what you did in that paragraph is the essence of why people like me exist. Um, and so I think your truth has always been that, right? I mean, to advocate on behalf of people and to tell their stories to inspire others. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I mentioned, I, I don't know if I put this in my book or not, I can't remember, but. When I first became the VP of customer service, you know, I like a lot of executives and a lot of people and organizations, especially in corporate America, you can have a lot of meetings. Your day can be full from meeting to meeting to meeting. And not long after I became the VP of customer service, I recognized I needed to build in some more spontaneity in my day. Um, that makes sense. Plan spontaneity, planning for the unplanned, because um, I escalations from customers where, you know, problem resolution wasn't satisfactory to them at whatever other channel it came in from, um, I had, it came to my desk and usually they're the more egregious situations, you know, they could have had legal implications. They could have, um, you know, health and safety implications. They could have had, uh, um, or just like, you know, somebody was so angry and so unhappy. So, I ended up building, you know, two half hour blocks into my day just in case I needed to, you know, for the unplanned, in case something came up. And that was really important part of my work and an important part of um, me feeling like I'm serving, you know, serving the organization is taking care of those, those customers where like, what else is a head of customer service supposed to do, right? <laughs> Yes, you're supposed to manage your call center metrics, make sure your staffing levels are up, put together programs for service, you know, create service visions, create training, um, get the rest of the organization like agitated to like be around customer. But like ultimately, it's like if any single customer was unsatisfied with their experience, I felt personally responsible for it. 
really. It's interesting. Is- I mean, there's something I wrote down was the need to agitate. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought that was an interesting concept. And here you go using a word that agitated you when it was referenced to you. Yep. <laughs> let me, let me, before I, before I get into any of that, I, I don't think that every CX leader is actually talking to customers. I, I don't, <laughs> I think that's, that'd be wonderful if it were true. But I think sometimes as you move up in leadership, you get farther and farther away from customers, right? You get more and more involved in managing the the database, the spreadsheet, the key performance metrics, and maybe less involved in the textural reality that you felt when you were a barista. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And I also love the kind of building in that that buffer for the spontaneous moments it really needed to be responded to. Okay, enough of that. Let me let me just jump to where all this takes us, right? Because you come out of Starbucks, you go and you work for a period of time in a different corporate environment that aligned up very nicely with your values. And so the transition from Starbucks to somewhere else was not a deep, dark hole. It was a very joyful one for mm-hmm. you with lots of sadness anytime you leave 27 years. Uh, the real tragedy was that on your last day, the leader that lacked the insights into kind of helping you evolve also lacked the insight to remember it was your last day or something thereabouts. And so yeah. that was a little uh, anticlimactic and tragic. But beyond that moment, you really did jump into something that was beautiful and wonderful. And then from there, have even maybe moved to even a more beautiful, wonderful place, which is a consulting world, which is a world where you take all of that learning, that drive, that passion that made you who you are, that made you move from, you know, 17 year old in Fairbanks to, you know, the a vice president of, uh, of customer service uh, at Starbucks, you brought all that and you make it available now, not only in this book, which I, if, if you didn't catch it, people, I'm kind of fond of. <laughs> um, so please go out and get it. When you get it, also make sure you review it on Amazon. It helps authors immensely. So in any regard, you put it in this book and now you're doing mostly consultative work and coaching. So can we talk a little bit about you know, again, from the time you left Starbucks through that little journey past to your entrepreneurial self again, uh, what you're accomplishing now and what you're excited about in the current iteration of the Christine McHugh story. Yeah, I, I definitely, I have to be remiss if I didn't touch on like, a, like many things in life, I did not set out to be a consultant by any means. And actually the whole idea terrified me of being out on my own and being, you know, having a hustle and that sort of thing. And in the, you know, conventional sense, because I have always worked in big team oriented environments. And, um, but how consulting came to be is I was being recruited for a job for a CEO for a small health and wellness company. And after getting in and meeting the founders, and was really excited about the concept, but it was too early for me to come in. That was my recommendation to them. They didn't need me. um, But how about while I was looking for a job, I would help them out as a consultant. So that's really how it all started. There was not any big grand plan or business plan. It just kind of unfolded. But over the last couple of years, since I've been working for myself, it has been a pretty incredible experience to work with a variety of companies that are you know, mission-driven, purpose-driven, they care about their people, they care about their customers, and they need help to take it to the next level. I sometimes have heard the term that organizations that bring me in want a grown-up in the room, which is kind of funny, but oftentimes they haven't had, their leadership teams haven't, don't, haven't had the level of depth of experience and breadth of experience that I've had because 
I've worked in operations. I've worked in HR and training. I've worked in business development. I've worked in corporate. I've worked in the field. I tend to look at things from a business perspective through a really broad lens. Um, and so that I'm often brought in to help figure out what kind of, you know, whether they need to hone in on their strategy and then put the, what structures they need to put in place to help scale. And certainly not as a surprise, people who've been listening, is that it's all through the lens of people. So are there talent practices? Is there cultural practices? How does they um, continue to you know, keep the things that have made them special and unique as an organization and put those on a runway for growth. And doing so, while doing so, working really closely with the top leaders in the organization or the founders or CEOs on how are they evolving their leadership style and approach in this organization? What are the things that got them here? Again, like organization they want to hold on to, but what are the things that they need to continue to um, invest in themselves in so that they can take the organization to the next place. So, so I've been doing it for a couple of years now and I've worked with, you know, really small, like a couple people, businesses to, you know, businesses with, you know, over 500, a thousand employees. Um, but it's all in that growth. They're all in that kind of growth mode or even just a transition mode, like pivoting from one business model to another business model or trying to change scope of services. So I've been, really grateful. I've had a ton of fun. Um, and I'm con continuing to learn, you know, what are the things that really I can really kind of pinpoint and help them on. But um, it's in all the things I mentioned, strategy, operations, culture, I'd say are the big ones. I'm, I know that at your your grandmother was a consultant, I think, to technology <laughs> and teachers, right? So yeah. I think it was inevitable you're going to be a consultant, whether you knew it, <laughs> whether you knew it. it or not, right? Yeah. You just didn't see it coming. Hey, I've been hogging the questions. Let me uh, try to stop doing that and actually bring in some from others. Uh, this is David Morris, who says, Christine, what are you most passionate about right now? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question, David. Thank you. I um. It's not something I've done a lot of um, public uh, advocacy for, or um, um, what's what I'm looking for, um, activism for right now. But I'm really passionate about mental health and mental well-being. And I actually recently joined a board of directors for a Washington State um, behavioral health providers. It's a nonprofit and. I just, you know, certainly there's family history there for me that it, I'm close to that and my own experiences that have made this a passion of mine. But seeing COVID and um, experiencing COVID, I shouldn't say seeing it's not like I watched it from the outside, <laughs> but, but experiencing COVID and seeing the impact COVID had on other people, like how important mental and behavioral health is as equally as is physical wellness, which I love. And I'm really passionate about that too. I'm an endurance athlete and I've got some big goals of my own this next, the rest of the summer and fall. But I think what I'm, this emerging passion that I'm starting to uncover is around this mental health, mental wellness and how important that is and how it needs to be destigmatized um, as something that is, um, you know, if we can care for people in this way, then they can, um, they can thrive. So that's a passion. Um, I know I've got a lot of others I already mentioned my passion for athletics and endurance sports. 
Um, I won't I make you know. just ad lib your David. passions, have to reveal all of your passions all at one time. <laughs> you, know, you gotta hold some of them back. Yeah, obviously there's a passion I think for, for sharing this story uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of your journey. And I think it's, it's as much a story about how to navigate a major corporate behemoth and really as kind of a small company that turns into a major behemoth, there's that. There's that. But there's a lot about growth, development, human humanity, uh, being able to deliver experiences that take into consideration the breadth of human experience. And I mean, it's just such, a, it's inspiring, it's practical, it's you get inside of your journey and you get very pulled into the notion that any of us can make a bigger difference in the world if we commit ourselves to that pursuit. And I think that's what I came away from the book with. And you know, I'm, I'm eager to share it with my kids. And, and that's a big testament, right? Because mm -hmm. one of whom actually worked for Starbucks at one point in time. Um, and, but, but suffice it to say, it would be, it's the kind of thing you want to give to people who are trying to navigate professional development and have an impact. It, it, what was your ultimate intention of the book? Because that's what I took away from it as a reader. Um, that was my ultimate intention. I mean, I really had two simple goals with the book. One was to learn how to write. I had no writing experience and I like might as well, if I'm gonna learn how to write, I might as well go big, write a book. And the second intention was to help others by sharing my stories of resilience, um, not caving to the path that you think you should follow and carving your own, um, living your values, which we've talked a little bit about, that if I can spark some insight in someone or inspire someone to, you know, take one of those ideas and, you know, put themselves out there and try something new, then I will have accomplished my goal. So that really was the intention behind it. All right. So I want to take a couple of minutes to call to action people to do something, right? So obviously I'll make a call to action on your behalf, which is buy the book, like, <laughs> like buy the book, three words in my call to action. People should be able to follow this, even though I sometimes stutter, follow, just buy the book. Um, <laughs> and then obviously the continuation of that for authors is review the book, like it or don't like it, that's your business, but please take the time to review the book. I can't imagine anything but positive reviews. I think that's all there is on there right now. So uh, uh, kind of speaks to the path that you'll likely have at the end of it. Uh, all right, so that's my call to action on your behalf. Do you have other calls of action? Like be, should people be you know, hiring you to speak for them, consult for them, coach them? I know you're almost on a like pause. You have so much work thanks to this book, but, but generally what do you hope will be some other follow-ups that might happen? Just visit your website, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I'd love for people to consider me for, you know, potential projects for their organization or engagements for their organization. I'm also booking speaking engagements right now um, around the book and lessons from leadership and career. And um, yeah, you know, feel free to LinkedIn me. I'm really open to having connections. I'm really get a lot out of knowing other people. So and seeing what they're up to. So I'd say call to action is, you know, in addition to checking out my services and seeing if I might I'd be a, somebody that can add value to your organization and, um, um, you know, coming to speaking engagements, but LinkedIn, getting on LinkedIn with me and making some connections because. All right. All right. All right. Right. We've got the calls to action. Connect on LinkedIn. Go to our website. Consider speaking engagement. Possibly have her get involved in a project. I'm running out of fingers. Buy the book. 
uh, review the book. All right, six six simple calls to action. If you you know you can play this back as many times as you want if you missed any on the list. All right, so enough of that. Let's uh, let's like you. We don't already know you after all of this conversation. But let me ask some of my lightning round questions for a couple of minutes to make sure that you just whatever comes to mind, top of mind okay. on these answers. Don't overthink it. Um, I'm just gonna fire off some things. Archie Comics. Oh, I loved Archie Comics growing up. Snickers bars. I'll stay with the same category. <laughs> I love Snickers bars today, especially if I'm on a big ski day, downhill skiing. All right. I, I got, I gather that from the book. Fresh, uh, French press, Starbucks, Cafe Verona. What I'm drinking this morning. <laughs> there you go. It's like, a, it's a, a thing. All right. Uh, Nick. Oh, my son, my pride and joy. He's heading off to college next month. I cry at least once a week at dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's like there were times back in adolescence. There were moments in adolescence you were dreaming of this day. You remember yes. that? Yeah, that, that, it yeah. couldn't but, happen. Couldn't happen fast enough. But yeah, <laughs> now, now, now it's, it's like please don't go. My, when my son went to college, it was uh, that like all of the Toy Story movies like aligned with my son's evolution, and and that was Toy Story fifty four, whatever it was, and it was a uh, you know where where he goes off to college, right? Uh, and I'm like in this. I take my son to college. We're watching this Toy Story movie together, and I'm crying. Uh, like, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Uh, a couple others here. Let's uh, add to the Nick collection with Tate. Oh, my biggest supporter and cheerleader, hands down. All right. And then I, I guess I'll take it. You mentioned it just in passing, but let's talk about running um, because that came out of nowhere, and I think Nick is responsible. Yeah, my first 5K was chasing my son, Nick, um, when he was probably nine or 10. But now I've completed almost 25 half marathons, four full marathons. And over the last year, I've turned into a cyclist. I've got two 100-mile rides scheduled for the month of August. Awesome. All right. So I put your book back up there. Everybody look at the book, From Barista to Boardroom. All right. I'll take the book off so I can say a fond farewell to you in great gratitude. Thanks for taking the time. I know we talked kind of when you were preparing to get this book on the road and it was great getting to know you a bit then and it's been even more pleasure getting to know you through the book and then for you to take the time today. Please go out and get from barista to boardroom. Reach out to, to Christine. We've been putting her website across the bottom banner throughout. So please check that out as well. And uh, thank you again for making the world a better place all those years, and particularly when you're ahead of uh, customer service at Starbucks. That's that's kind of the stuff that I was so excited to see what you did. Well, thank you so much for having me today. And also thank you with gratitude for so getting through the book publishing process, giving me some advice on how to get started. You were so open and available. And I just love that you embody that service-oriented attitude and mantra in everything that you do. And it was great being here today. So I'm hoping... Um, people got a little nugget out of this and thanks for your support, Joseph. I appreciate it. And my pleasure. And for those of you who have friends, unlike me, uh, if you were to have a friend and you think a friend might value just thinking about how to navigate corporate life or wanting to have greater impact in customer service and they might find value in this particular live stream, please share it with someone. I'll tell you what, I will give a copy of my book, Stronger Through Adversity, uh, to five people who forward this on to somebody. You'll need to remind me because I'm a little addle brain. So if you do, in fact, you know, 
forward this link, share it, reshare it on your, your feed. Let me know and we'll put you in the hopper of the, for the five people who will end up getting a copy of this book. So if you'd be so kind, I'd be ever so grateful. Thank you again to Christine McHugh. We'll end up with, um, we'll end up with intermittent live streams now for a bit more. We're just going through some heavy, heavy, heavy volume times in consulting, but I think we're starting to see a light on the other side of the tunnel, but it's not a train. So uh, we'll get back to a more regular schedule, probably around October. But for the next month and a half, we'll continue to have intermittent podcasts uh, in, and live streams with incredible guests like Christine. So join us whenever you see our invite pop into your feed.